welcome to the Empower Church podcast. My name is Matt Garner, and I'm the pastor at Empower Church here in Melbourne, Australia. We're so glad you've joined us today, and I am believing that today's message is not only going to inspire you and encourage you, but it's going to empower, equip, and challenge you to be everything that God has called you to be. Hey, if you want more information about what we're up to at Empower Church, just jump on our website, empowerchurch.co, and all the details are there. We really hope that you enjoy the message. Well, welcome to what we call our family service. And uh, as you can see, we don't have a a kids program going on today. But it's not just about kids, um, kind of primary school age kids in that context. It's about... um, us as a family really connecting and joining together and, um, and uh, it's important. Uh, they say it takes a village to raise a child and um, I know from my personal upbringing that um, a lot of the values and all those sorts of things that um, I, I, I suppose um, ended up taking on as an adult uh, came from my home life. I was raised in a single parent home and uh, shout out to Jan. Um, I survived and um, it was good and I'm thankful for um, her dragging me along week in and week out to church. Um, In fact, uh, my kids are kind of living the same experience in a way because my mum was the Sunday school teacher and um, of this really tiny um, kind of little community church that we're a part of we also grew up, um, the church paid to renovate our garage um, and it became the church offices for a while. And so as I am thinking about this more and more, our life is actually on Groundhog Day repeat um, because you can't even get into my garage most of the times because it's full of random church belongings. Um, <laughs> it's quite funny. So, um, but it does take a village to, to raise a child. And I really remember and have fond memories as a kid, um, even though there were parts I hated and looked, looked upon where I was like, as a, as a child, as a teenager, do we have to come, rah, 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 you know? Um, I remember back in the days of kids' church, this is prior technology people, all right? So we're talking old people days, as my kids would say, dad, are you from the olden days? Um, where we didn't have video projectors. If you wanted to bring a TV in for something, flat screens were not a thing. Come on, somebody. They were those, remember those big glass tube things? They were like this big. They weighed about 200 kilos. And, um, you know, anyway, that's me just reminiscing. Anyone ever do the overhead projecting? Yeah, I got fired after the first week. I was always pushing it the wrong way. Anyway, that's another conversation. Um, but the point, the point of the story is that um, I think it's important that we as a family, a church family, young, old, generationally, connect in this way and, uh, and worship together and pray together and be together. And so that's part of what these Sundays are really all about, is about us modelling a generational expression of Sunday worship and I think it's really 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 vital that we do so Um, we're going to go to Acts chapter 7 and we're going to read from verse 51 in just a second 
But as you're turning there, I do want to um, just remind you that there will be a, um, on the 24th of July, we have what we call Community Sunday. We're really excited. It's called House Fires. We're not meeting here in, um, in this building, but we're meeting in homes all over kind of this region, reaching out to kind of Diamond Creek, Eltham, right the way through to Preston, right out to Doreen, Munda, Epping, etc. Um, and obviously in this area too. And so we called it House Fires because we've really got a vision um, to see the church leave the building, but still be that powerful, contemporary, um, Jesus-centered kind of church gathering, not just here in the building, but also in homes. And so really excited about that. Um, And so you're going to get an invite in the next two weeks from someone. Someone will hand you a little business card of some sort. Next week, we'll have all the, uh, all where, where the house fires are, we'll have them not only on the screen, but we will communicate them to you electronically. Um, so just so that you know, um, we won't be here on that Sunday, we'll be gathering elsewhere. And it's going to be a really, really wonderful time. I want to encourage you to um, now start planning to be there. They're all going to be at 10am on a Sunday morning, uh, on Sunday the 24th. And uh, it is just going to be a really, really cool time. If you do want more information about that or um, anything like that, please reach out to us and let us know. And on that note, if you aren't receiving any communication from us, it's because quite simply we don't have you um, on our database and um, we kind of don't do the visitors slash connect lounge type of thing. We kind of see the whole church as the connect lounge if you like and so but if you do want to receive communication from from us um, sometimes we sms sometimes we send out emails um, no more than a weekly basis it's not like all this spam emails coming Um, but please do make sure that you either head to our website um, and fill out the form that's there um, so that we can make sure that you're getting all the communication uh, firsthand of what's happening or um, later on Sarah will give you an opportunity to um, see a QR code on the screen or they're also up the back as well. But I did want to point that out because I've noticed that we've got um, some people, your spouses are on it, you're not on it, vice versa and so that'd be cool. But let's do this really quickly, Acts chapter 7 and verse 51 and um, this is a powerful, incredible story and um, And let's get into it. You ready? You really ready? Oh, good. Claude, how was Venus Bay, mate? Was good? Awesome. I want to come next time. Claude and a bunch of families, will we say? People? Dads and and kids um, went up to Venus Bay for a night and do a wonderful thing. We're going to talk more about that some other time. Um, because I think it's it's awesome what what he what you did, and so praise the Lord. I just saw you, and I don't know what I'm talking about. It's very random. Let's keep moving. I've got the gift of awkwardness. It's part of my spiritual gifts. Just like Claude, Claude, stand up. Let's make this more awkward. <laughs> He's very good looking man too. Anointed, powerful getting embarrassed, never saw him, seen him go this red before, but anyway, let's keep moving. Um, in fact, can we get the whole family to stand up? 
nothing, not, not even a bite. Almost like, all right, this is the last week we're at the church. Um, I was sensing that from the kids. That was a word of knowledge. But anyway, um, if, what's happening in Acts chapter 7 is pretty amazing. Acts 6, last week we spoke about how um, the church grew. And we spoke about how whenever something grows, it needs a bit of order. It needs organisation. And whenever order and organisation comes, it unlocks multiplication. From Acts chapter 1 right through to Acts chapter 8, we just see incredible growth in the church. Scum, scum, some scholars, that was me combining two words, um, some scholars really say that um, there's potentially 50, 60,000 decisions to follow Jesus have happened in this pretty short space of time. So a lot has happened. Acts chapter 6, as we were just saying, the order that was and the organisation that was required, like it is with any growth, whether you're in a, a workplace, you have a small business, whether it's church, or whether it's actually just being the hands and feet of Jesus to our community, organisation is required for two reasons. Number one, so that we can minister effectively to those that need ministry, which is what the case was in Acts chapter 6. They wanted to make sure that the widows were receiving um, care appropriately and none were being missed out. And um, the first part is so that we can minister effectively. That's why we organise. That's why we have structure within most things that we do that are healthy, certainly within church life. But the second is, is so that the body, the many-membered body that Paul goes on to talk about, the body of Christ, you and I as individuals, as people made in the image of God, yet so unique in our gifting, so unique in our capacity, so unique in our calling, the organisation is important because it provides opportunity for the body to stop being just members and attenders to being active participants in the mission of God in the earth. And so that organisation really releases opportunity for you and for I to be the hands and the feet and to walk in the calling and the destiny that God has for us. One of the reasons why I'm excited about our house fires is because it's going to activate more than just one preacher on a Sunday, we're going to have 20 people preaching on a Sunday. Instead of just having one worship leader on a Sunday, we're actually activating 20 worship leaders on a Sunday. Instead of just having one person or a handful of people operate in the gift of hospitality and administration and pastoral care and moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit through knowledge, prophecy, wisdom, faith, signs and wonders, whatever the case might be, we now have the opportunity for you, not your neighbour, you, to walk in that miraculous power also. And so instead of having a version of church which always looks to the stage, we are reordering the church, if you like, and we are committed to activating, excuse me, you and your life to move in the unique God-given calling that he has for you. And I'm really excited. Acts 6 tells the story of 
of that organisation happening. And one of the men that is chosen to serve is a man by the name of Stephen. Stephen is a wild, on fire man. Stephen is, is so on fire for God, the Bible records in, math, in the end of Matthew chapter 6 and the start of Matthew chapter 7, records how, how, um, how miracles would break out around this man. It records that there were many signs and wonders, that there were many, many miraculous moments, that this man had an encounter with Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two, verse one, he was in the upper room at that time. And as a result of being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, this man walked in the supernatural, in signs and wonders. Not only did this man move in signs and wonders, but he didn't, he didn't um, see it too, too low for his position. In fact, the true sign of a man of God is not how high and how many followers and how many, how, um, how notable they are. It's not even really about the amount of miracles they do. It's about what you and I should be looking for in a man or a woman of God is how low they go. Because true fivefold ministry exists to, to lift up the church to a higher place to empower and equip for the working of the ministry. And so here we have Stephen, this man that's radically devoted to Jesus, that is completely on fire for Jesus. He is a preacher of preachers. We don't have time. I'd really encourage you. They say that Acts chapter 7 is one of the most significant books in Acts as if you don't know, the, the author of the book of Acts is a, one of Jesus' disciples by the name of Luke. Luke obviously wrote the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And in his writing of the book of Acts, we, um, uh, Luke, Luke was a physician. He was smart. He was intellectual. He didn't miss a moment. He recorded moments with pinpoint accuracy. He wrote things in the text that are there for a specific purpose and a specific reason, not for us to just skim over and think, well, that's just part of the story. No, for us to really understand that Luke is specifically penning these words in this specific book so that we as the church or the church after the apostles um, you know, come and go, have a reference point of the wonderful work that Jesus did through the Holy Spirit in the New Testament church. And so he writes, we know that, we know that Stephen was a wild, articulate, powerful, incredible, anointed preacher because his preaching got him into a lot of trouble. He preaches this incredible word where he basically goes through Israel's history. He's not trying to discredit the law, although he is accused by the religious leaders of this time. He is accused of blaspheming the law. He is not blaspheming the law. He is just saying that Jesus, the one that they crucified, the one that stood in the same place in Jerusalem Maybe a few in, in the last three years to the same crowd 
with the same message was crucified as a result. But Stephen, knowing this still boldly, articulately, stands up. And he is on trial at this moment. Listen, Stephen is on trial at this moment. But such is the anointing and the power on this man when he speaks that midway you sense a shift happens. And now all of a sudden the accused becomes the accuser. The one being judged now becomes the one pointing at the religious people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, as a man that is now saying you better look at your own actions. And so he preaches this incredible message. It finishes with this one statement, and then I want you to see what happens, okay? Then I'll give you the title of my message. It says this in verse number 51. Cover a little bit more, please, Chip. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. That's just a very old school Bible way of saying these guys were mad. But he being full of the Holy Spirit, did you hear that? That's the key. But he being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, he said, look, I see the heaven, the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him, him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And as the witnesses lay down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, and they stood, they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said these, he had said this, he fell asleep. I want to speak to you very briefly today about living for the applause of heaven. I want to speak to you just for a few moments to young or old, whoever you are, middle age. Doesn't matter what age you are, there is a, a calling that's coming out from heaven at the moment. There's a question that is coming out from heaven. There's a question that's being uttered throughout the ages and I believe that we are being re-asked this same question today and that question is who, whose applause do you desire? What are you really living for? If you sit in this room, maybe you're visiting, that's wonderful, we welcome you, we're glad you're here. 
But just pastorally for, for a moment, if you're a, if you're a church goer, if you're someone that says they're a Christian, if you're someone that says, I'm a follower of Jesus, that's what a Christian is. I'm a follower of Jesus. Christians become too churchy where we've locked down Christianity to just our Sunday attendance. But it needs a radical reformation of that word to bring it back to what it actually meant to be a Christian. And what it means to be a Christian is found in the story of Stephen. This man, the first martyr of the church. You know, the word martyr is the word witness. It often gets translated, the word uh, martyr, I suppose, in the Greek is really quite easily translated as witness. So in a way, when Acts 1.8 happened, you shall receive power to be my witnesses. There was a call right there that is coming to us as the church as an invitation, but also a challenge, a question that is being asked whether we're five or whether we're 95. Whose applause are you living for? Check this out in the text today. The applause of heaven. Because biblically speaking, whenever people, whenever we someone see someone seated or standing, it means something. And I want you, I want you to really quickly see this. But in verse number, we're gonna highlight this verse when it says, um, it says, but being full of the Holy Spirit, so I don't have the number in front of me, he saw the glory of God. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is Jesus. He saw the glory of God and Jesus, listen to this, standing at the right hand of God. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Just to bring home this point that I'm trying to get across, let's look at a few quick scriptures. They're not gonna be up on the screen, but you might wanna write them down. Mark chapter 16, 19. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up, to, up into heaven, speaking of Jesus, and sat at the right hand of God. What did he do? He, he sat. Luke twenty two sixty nine. 69, hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of power of God. Colossians 3, 1. Um, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Hebrews 10, 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, speaking of Jesus, sat down, at the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. As you can see, anytime we see Jesus in heaven, Jesus is seated. Theologically, the reason why Jesus is seen seated is because it represents that it is finished. It is complete. A seated man has no more work to do. 
That's why whenever we find Jesus in the New Testament at the right hand of the Father, we find Him seated. Because when He died upon the cross, when His blood was shed at Calvary, when He overcame the grave, sin and death and the grave, when He, when he did that so victoriously, when that, that, that the um, New Testament authors said, death, where is your sting? Death has no power anymore. Sin has no power anymore. All because of the shed blood of Jesus, the death, the burial and the resurrection of our Saviour. And when he looked into heaven and he said, it is finished. He wasn't saying, I am finished. He's saying everything that I need to do to reverse the curse of sin has been completed. Come on, can we thank God? Can we give Jesus praise for that? He is so good. It is finished. He was saying sickness is finished. Death is finished. Separation from God has now been cancelled to those that receive the work of Jesus. It is finished. And so we sat down and that seated position represents The fact that everything that Jesus came to do, he has already done. It was done. That's why in every New Testament passage where we are talking about Jesus and his position next to the Father, we see him seated except this one case in Acts chapter 7 where Jesus finds a man That is not a living for the applause of man, but rather is living for the applause of heaven. So the simple question to you today is whose applause are you living for? Whose applause are you living for? I think it's easy in this context, for me anyway. It's easy for me in this context, in, this, in, in a, a safe Christian church type of environment, even, a, even in a Western, predominantly Christian society where the Bible is interwoven into our national constitution and laws. And we live with certain freedoms where The government doesn't decide who we can worship. And so it's easy for us as religious people to say that we live for Jesus. But I think it must be said that we've got to dig a little bit deeper, peel back some layers, look at some really tangible, practical things about our life in order to truly answer that question. Because I want to say that your Sunday attendance is not the determining factor. The fact that you don't use curse words or you don't have a lifestyle like other people out there in the world have is not the thing that we measure of what and whether we're living for the applause of heaven. Now, listen to me, I'm not, I'm not talking about are you saved or not. I'm talking about whose applause are you living for? In Bible times when someone stood, remember the, the, um, 
the story of the, uh, the prodigal son. The father would stand to go and find his son every single day. Why? Because you either you stood for two things as a noble person or as royalty. Don't have time to give all the scripture references this morning. But you either stood out of anger or you stood out of honour. If you go back to the story of Esther, when the plot to uh, kill Esther and, and her family was discovered, you find the king stand and he stands out of anger. We find the prodigal son, the father, the story of the loving father. We find the father stand. In this case, in Acts chapter seven, we see the father, we see Jesus, sorry, we see King Jesus stand. We see him stand. You know, one of the things about life is that we grow up we grow up not realizing what we grow up we grow up with things that are okay but not necessarily what Jesus wants Paul said it like this like all things are lawful but not all things are beneficial and because we grow up in a safe western kind of christian culture we can dumb down what the actual we, we, can, we can reason anything away to being lawful. But is it really beneficial? Beneficial to what? Beneficial to you drawing closer to Jesus. And I'll be honest with you today, our church is not the sort of church that, would, um, that will go out of its way to point out what is beneficial for the bigger room because we believe that the Holy Spirit leads us in that way. I think... Sin is sin, let's call it out for what it is for sure, right? But I'm talking around, um, I'm talking around the things that we can argue our perspective on different things um, and we can reason away ideas, we can reason away, um, we can reason away, we can find biblical reasons to do certain things, to participate in certain things, to have certain conversations, um, but the truth is, the truth is, is that that's why we need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one that shows us what's beneficial versus just what we can make a good case for scripturally. That's why we want to be just totally spirit-led people. And this is what we see in Stephen. I don't want to bring out these two thoughts and then we're going to go home because my kids are walking around up the front. This is what it says. I, I love this. And if you're going to be someone that lives for the applause of heaven, you've got to know, you've got to know this, all right? You've got to know this. And it's, it's found, I want you to see this one. It's kind of found in the, in the whole story. But it's, let's read it from here. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They were angry. And so they ground their teeth. They gnashed their teeth. But he, everyone say but, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, looked into heaven and saw the glory of God. Did you hear my kids say, but? Dad said we could say, but. That's what happens in the family service. Uh-oh. Listen, listen. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus. This is, if you're going to be someone that lives for the applause of heaven, you've got to learn how to do that. 
What's that? You've got to learn how to be standing in the culture, but still look at heaven. You've got to learn how to stand in the place of pressure, but still be orientated around the presence of Jesus. You've got to be someone that can be head-on facing persecution, but still be looking at a glorified Jesus. You've got to be able to stand in a doctor's surgery and receive a diagnosis of a terminal, uh, that the condition is terminal, and you've still got to look and see Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God that heals. You've got to be the type of person, you've got to have the depth in your faith that no matter what happens out here, it does not determine, it does not determine the devotion, the commitment and the the passion and desire that you have for the things of God coming to pass in your life. See, we're talking about living for the applause of heaven. Our biggest thing is that often we're living for our, our uh, this is gonna sound a bit weird, but we're not necessarily living for the applause out there, but we're certainly living, certainly living for the comfort in here. The true idol that sits on the throne of most Western believers is the idol of comfort. And we've disguised the idol of comfort and called it Christianity. And I wanna stand before you as a spiritual leader in this community and ask for your forgiveness today. Because the reason we don't have Stevens that would rise up and not bow to the culture, not bow to pressure, the reason why we have so much immaturity across the church is because we've dumbed down and we've preached comfortable, bless me, prosperity Christianity. But friend, I wanna tell you today, from this moment on, you need to know that your life has so much power behind it. It has so much force. It has all of heaven's force. Jesus stands when you take a stand. And the type of Christians that God is raising up, listen to me, young people, you need to hear this. Because I didn't grow up in an era, I got set on fire when I was 15 years old. And it wasn't because I had a good youth program. It wasn't because I had a youth pastor. I didn't. It wasn't because we had small groups because Yongi Cho hadn't invented them yet. It was because the power of the Holy Ghost came upon me because I opened up my heart for just one moment and said, Lord, if you're real, my parents, my mum, my church, my school, they tell me about Jesus. But if you are real, I wanna experience your power and your presence. And from that moment on, from that moment on, heaven, the power of Jesus filled my life and I never turned back. I didn't have the SMIC program. I didn't have the big thing. There wasn't conferences back in those days. It was just me pursuing Jesus with all my heart. You have no excuses. You have been given every opportunity to pursue and to, op- and to pursue the power of the Holy Spirit in your own life. But it starts with an open heart. 
the reason why this is an important message to our children, to young adults, is because there is so much pressure in this world. There's so much pressure to conform. Due to a, a few small business things and different things over the years, I've engaged in different elements of social media and stuff like that. I downloaded TikTok not too long ago. Hello. God help us all. But no wonder the world is so broken. You don't have to scroll too far on social media to have a projection of who the culture tells you to be. Now, I was running late, so I didn't bring my satchel, so I don't have my physical Bible here today, but I wish I did because I'd hold it up and I'd say that the true projection of who you were meant to be is not found through scrolling TikTok. It's found through reading God's Word. It's found through experiencing the power of the presence of God. And the only way we get to Stephen's devotion is by having Stephen's encounter. So forgive us as a church, as a Pentecostal church, if you are not that Pentecostally inclined, I made up a word. But our children need a touch of heaven on their lives. Our children need the power of the Holy Ghost. If you're under the age of 30, you, you, you're not a child, don't get me wrong, but you need the power of the Spirit of God on your life just to resist the temptation that happens by participating in the culture that you live in. And this isn't just for the young people. Come on, somebody. It's time for the fathers to rise up and be the men of God, of integrity, purity that this generation need us to be. It's time for the mums and the grandmas and the women of God to rise up in the church and say, I will be a Stephen in the face and in the context of my, the culture that comes and wars against me. If you're to be a Stephen, we all want the, the applause of heaven. I know that we want it, but you've got to have that big butt in your life. Don't say that. But you've got to have that butt in your life that says, no, 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 no. I know I'm here. I know I'm in pain right now, but I can see your presence. I know I'm in, I'm in discomfort. I know I'm in persecution, but Jesus, but Jesus, but Jesus, but Jesus. We all need a big but. <laughs> Just making sure the kids are still listening. Turn to your parents and say, you've got a big but. No, no, I'm joking. Let's, let's keep them. We all need a big butt. You're going to get to school. What did you do on the weekend, my dad? Anyway, let's keep moving. You've got to resist the culture. And the only way you do it, this is what I was, was wanting to say before and I got carried away. But the reason why we're going to have an experiential, Holy Spirit-led environment is because you and I need to be filled with the presence of Jesus. 
The distinguishing factor about the New Testament church was that they were full of the Holy Ghost. And the reason why they operated in supernatural power and the reason why they, they moved in boldness, remember boldness and power, they are the two hallmarks of the New Testament church. The gifts of the Spirit, as in tongues, all those sorts of things, they're great, they're wonderful. Let's, you know, the Bible says above anything, like desire to prophesy. We wanna move in the gifts of the Spirit, but we don't wanna have, a, we don't wanna have what we've had in the past where we, where we have the gifts of the Spirit here, but we don't live them out in our everyday life. Parents, can I tell you, God wants to give you words of knowledge for your children, he wants you to move in the gift of prophecy over your family, over different areas of your life. It's not, should never be contained to how we've contained it to this Sunday morning church. Because one day you're gonna need the power of the Holy Ghost. You're gonna need that boldness and power to be the witness that God's calling you to be. Because you living for the applause of heaven, listen to me, this is the second thing, is not about you but it's about what's following after you. I meet too many people that live a very self-absorbed version of Christianity. And what I mean by that sounds harsh. I'm got, it's quite funny. The harder I go, and I, I apologise every now and then, the harder I go though, people are like, that was an amazing message. You should do it again. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was singing that song to myself. I'm sorry for preaching so harshly. Anyway, where was I? What was I saying? Big butts. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Self-absorbed Christianity is the Christianity that looks for comfort rather than service. And it wraps, it wraps its, it wraps a lie in a reason. The lie is, uh, the, the reason is I can't do whatever. And I'm not talking about Sunday church service. I'm talking about your entire devotion to the Lord, right? I'm talking about your witness to your workplace. I'm talking about what, you, I'm talking about your unique calling. You've got one, right? You don't know what it is. That's part of the journey of unpacking what that is, right? But the reason is that I, I can't, I'm not ready or this or that or that. And some of those times, those things are good. But for self-absorbed Christians, that's actually a lie just wrapped in a reason, so it looks like a reason because you super-spiritualise it as a good reason. I just need time. But often it's a lie because your Christianity is about you. But if you really knew what was coming after you, you might break that lie and engage with the service that God's called you to? You might. 
Because one of the things Augustine wrote about this passage of Scripture, Augustine's this really smart guy that lived hundreds of years ago that's got some really good quotes that look good on Instagram, right? And he was a theologian and he was a pioneer and he was so many things hundreds of years ago. But he said about this specific uh, passage of Scripture because the Bible, said, the Bible says that, that Stephen fell asleep and Augustine wrote something along the lines of Stephen had to fall asleep so that the church would finally awake. Stephen had to lay down his life in service for Jesus. It wasn't about him, it was about what was coming. And I want you to think who's standing at Stephen's execution. If you've been in church for a while, you know that there was a young man Scholars say between 30 and 40 years old, a young man, one of the smartest, most brilliant religious minds of that time, studied at the feet of the high priest Gamaliel. This young man who they came and brought the garments of Stephen and they laid it at his feet as a sign of getting this young man's approval because he was a man of authority for this stoning, this execution to take place. And that young man had the name of Saul. He was witness of the first martyr the first man to lay down his life for the message of Jesus. Could you imagine the impact that it would have had on Stephen seeing this man serve in this way? I can imagine he was only thinking, I don't agree with this theologically, but gee whiz, this guy is devoted. Because true followers of Jesus, when they radically sell out, they give everything that they have for the gospel and for what it means, are those that are not thinking about their own needs, but they're thinking about what is next. And he looked into heaven and he saw Jesus. He saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing. Jesus wasn't standing in anger. Jesus was standing in honour. There's a lot of theological conversation around maybe he was standing before the father pleading the case of the first martyr as Stephen was going to be judged on that day. And he was there as the witness for Stephen. Maybe it was because it was a standing ovation. Another theological thought is it was a standing ovation for a man that laid down his life for the cause of the gospel of Jesus. But when we live for the applause of heaven, we stop living for the applause of man. 
We stop living for the applause of culture like we spoke about. Jesus becomes the one thing that our life, our marriages, our career, he becomes the one thing that our minds are committed to thinking about. Getting good grades is one thing. Having Jesus sit on the throne of your heart is another thing. Achieving wealth is one thing. Been able to stand before the Lord when we will one day and Him say, Him be standing. Say, you lived for my applause is another thing. Doing what everyone else else does because it seems the cool thing to do is one thing. But living a life completely devoted to following Jesus is another thing. Living for the applause of man is one thing, but living for the applause of heaven is the thing that our hearts above all should desire. It's what's next. For those of you that don't know the biblical text, what happens in Acts chapter 9, in fact, Acts chapter 8 is a really important thing because in Acts chapter 8 verse 1, it opens with this paragraph or opens with a sentence that says, now persecution starts hitting the church and the church are dispersed. And some of the writings, some of the writings about about the book, about uh, Stephen dying, is Stephen dying makes way for a soul to be birthed into a pole. True maturity in the church is what God is calling us into. And it's manifested in us not living for ourselves, but us living for the glory and the applause of heaven. So whose applause do you live for? Do you live for the applause of man? We all do in some ways. It's being honest. How do I know if I live for it? Well, just look at your insecurities. Look at the things that trigger you. (laughs) If you get that reminder on your phone, right? And it's a reminder that the credit card is due or the bill is due and that sends you into anxiety, then what you know is you're actually not living for Jesus' applause. Money is on the throne of your heart. We're getting real in this quiet Presbyterian church this morning, I'm telling you. someone's post comes up as you're scrolling through and whatever the reaction or emotion is and I'm just I'm speaking about myself come on somebody let's just be real up in here oh look what they're doing oh wow won't like it though because I don't want them to think I'm liking it scroll through 
just scroll back to it for a second. What are you doing? You're living for, I'm living for the applause of man. Someone else is on the throne of my heart. There's probably lots of little thrones that we have, isn't there? But today is a day that we kick all those things out and we live for the applause of heaven. And this is what we're going to do today. We're going to do something just really simple. First of all, I want to invite you to just quickly stand. Come on, it's time to live for the applause of heaven, isn't it? I said it's time to live for the applause of heaven, isn't it? It's time to get every single thing, every single one, every whatever it is off the throne of your heart and get Jesus on that throne. And so right now what we're going to do in this place is we're going to respond. And we're going to respond from the youngest to the oldest today feel the Lord just doing something in your heart I want you to open it up even if he's not you say man if this guy is for real Holy Spirit I open up my heart and I want to experience I want to receive I want you to come and move in my life but come on if that's you right now I want you to I want you to open up your heart I want you to repent for having things that are on the throne of your heart other than Jesus. Come on, would you do that right now? If you want to lift your hands, you can lift your hands. If you want to get on your knees, you can get on your knees. But just for two minutes, just for a few minutes, come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We lay down our lives before you today, Jesus. We lay down our lives before you, Jesus. We lay down our lives before you, Jesus. We lay down our lives. Father, we bless you. We bless you. We bless the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. declare you Lord we declare you Lord we declare you Lord we declare you Lord you're the Lord of all you're the Lord most high we bless the name of Jesus you're Lord most high and we bless you we want to live for your praise Jesus we want to live for your honor Lord we want to live for your glory Jesus and so right now Lord we come and we bring our hearts before you we ask for you to use us we ask for You to change us. We ask for You to do something new in us. Lord, we want to lay down every idol. We want to lay down everything, Father, that is in our heart and in our lives that's not You, Jesus. For some of us, it's money, Father. We lay it down. For some of us, Father, it's comfort. We lay it down. For some of us, Father, it's our career. We lay it down. For some of us, it's our possessions. We lay it down. For some of us, it's our relationships, we lay it down. It's our status, we lay it down, Father. Lord, there are just so many things that fill and clutter our hearts. And so today, 
We repent. We turn away from those things right now. We turn away, Jesus, and we ask for Your glory to fall. We ask for Your power to fall. We ask for refreshing to come. Lord, some of us have got secret addictions to things. We lay them down right now. Come on, just do your business with Him this morning. Oh, I'm addicted to this thought. I'm addicted to that that pattern or that habit. Whatever it is, we lay it down. We repent right now, Jesus. We say we're sorry. We ask for Your forgiveness, Lord. And we ask for You to move, Jesus. We thank You that You're moving in the Name of Jesus. In the Name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, just lift your hands. In every season, I see you're moving. I know you're doing something good. In every promise, I see you're faithful. I know you're doing some. Come on, if you're Stephen, he would have been singing this. In every season, I see you moving. I know you're doing something good. And in every promise, and I see you're faithful. I know you're doing some. Sing it one more time. Oh, oh.